Welcome back to Problematic Voice. Uh, Kurt, I had a chance to think about one of the things that you said about wanting to be a truth teller. I'm going to be honest, that's something I have a hard time with. Uh, this week, even, I was uh, interacting with a, a new business, and um, one of the strategies that he was using to get attention was he was playing music really loud. Mm-hmm. And as I uh, as I stayed in that area, I could hear that it was like music from the same band, and I could tell that it probably was not music that was going to attract his audience. It turned out uh, it was uh, it was Nickelback. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you Google, why do people hate? If you just start mm-hmm. typing that phrase into Google. Um, it, the next word will be Nickelback. It'll still yeah. populate oh. Nickelback. All right. All right. They are famously despised. Now, if, if somebody's listening and you're a fan of Nickelback, I get it. They sell a lot of albums. Still famously despised. And I, I had a short conversation with this guy because I've... Um, I've, I've had some interactions with them in the past. and Are you one of those who famously despises Nickelback? Well, I wouldn't use them to attract people to a business. Okay. And I just didn't, I don't know. I don't know if I didn't feel like it was my place to tell him how to do his business or if I was nervous about, I mean, you, you kind of said, it could be this, you don't want to offend people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but but he said, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's Nickelback radio and I just let him keep doing it <laughs> and I I, I feel a little bit convicted about that like should I say to this guy hey this is going to actually repel people and I'm not just talking about people the customers I, you're trying to attract I will own that mm-hmm. this will this will repel me I don't want to sit here, read a book, buy a beverage, whatever, and and have Nickelback blast into my ears. But I just didn't. I don't know if it's a central Wisconsin like a polite thing, or if it's a fear thing. But it's not a truth thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some of that that uh, that affects how we operate within. Uh, within the church, uh, certainly there's uh, an, an aspect of fear uh, and uh, a uh, choosing to speak love, sometimes to the expense of truth, grace at the expense of truth. There are certainly churches you can go to that speak truth at the expense of grace. Jesus, though, was the uh, he was the perfect balance in uh, in, in grace and, and truth. So sure. yeah, after that conversation, that was something I felt a little bit uh, a little bit convicted about. I'm not sure if anyone else can sure, sure. Re- relate to that. So the idea Are that you going to go just, back there now and tell him that that maybe you should choose a more palatable. No, uh, I I did go back and I didn't say anything even after <laughs> feeling. Uh, some some conviction after the initial I, I what I do is I just hope mm-hmm. that the problem goes away sure and sadly it might go away if uh, you know the cut cu- yeah the, the business closes because the customers won't stay because they don't like Nickelback so mm-hmm. part of the reason 
you are a problematic voice in my life is you say what's on your mind even if it isn't uh, what is um, the uh, the the most uh, smooth or polite or inoffensive thing to say and that messes with my sensibilities a little bit so uh, a problematic voice and yet we're here together because I care about the gospel of Jesus Christ reaching all nations including the people in my own neighborhood yeah this nation this nation mm -hmm. uh, so I'm concerned when uh, we we see uh, fewer and fewer people um, living out uh, Christ-like life so um, that's why our paths have uh, after meeting 15 years ago have continued to kind of intertwine and, and cross and I remember Kurt when you started on this journey that you uh, told us a little bit about uh, in the in, in the first session of, of, of this podcast uh, that I thought that's great for you mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean like good yeah, yeah. good mm -hmm. you go ahead and do that and I remember saying I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because this is what works here. Sure. Uh, planting a, a church, starting a Sunday morning service that's got, uh, you know, it's got the music and, and, uh, and coffee and snacks. And all, all of that, though, is setting the table for worship, for heartfelt worship, for learning from uh, the Word of God for people to grow and develop as disciples and to have a context where you can uh, invite friends, family, neighbors to experience worship and uh, and to learn from uh, the, the, the Word of God. That's, to me, what this is what works, mm -hmm. what works here. Sure. Um, one of the things that you've brought up is uh, that the North American model, the what what I'll refer to as the conventional model of church, mm -hmm. is broken. Sure, um, and you know it, it'll it'll probably you'll probably find this hard to believe, but I used to be much more offensive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to offend everyone, and now I offend less people than I used to. Uh, I feel like that's the grace of God, that he's just helped me to um, speak the truth in love, uh, but not in a way—I mean, sometimes, you know, the truth is offensive. Uh, but I think less and less people are offended now than, you know, when I first was getting involved in these things. Um, and, you know, you, you've brought up that, that phrase, the church is broken, the church is broken a, a few times now um, in our first segment and this one. And something that, that, you know, I think is important to clarify is that there is, you know, the what I call the traditional or, or I'm well, the traditional or conventional model and also the original model. Or if you think of a design of something, you know, there's the original design of Jesus Church or Jesus Ecclesia. And then there's the one that you and I were raised with that has 
all the programs and the parking lots and the sermons and the clergy and the buildings and all of those things, Sunday sure. schools. And, yep. Um, but if you if you really stop and ask yourself, did the New Testament church do any of that or have any of those things, you know, that kind of glaring answer is no, they didn't do any of that or have any of those things. Um, and so it's. I think it's important for people to recognize where that system came from. Okay. You okay. Know? Now, now, hold on, because one of the things that you, one of, one of the examples that you mentioned was parking lots, mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy to explain why the first century church didn't have parking lots. Sure. So, uh, before we go too much further, is there a is there an example that, uh, of of a practice of the modern church? That you want to take as a as an uh, an example to 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 run with uh, that that can you can be more specific because these you know these generalities a lot of them we can explain away why does the church do this why does the church do that well because we have cars sure uh, in the 1800s they had places for people to tie up their horses because they. Came. So, so can like let's get specific. Uh, mm-hmm. to, you can tell me the truth. What what's an example of a practice of the modern church that you would say didn't exist in the early church and is really a, an an invention that is other than something that developed as a response to technology or the way we do things or get around. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them would be the um, the existence of professional clergy. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, as I'm speaking you, to you, one, yeah. so you're just gonna get you're just gonna go there. Let's just, just dive get, right in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Go for it. Um, but that's just something that we don't see in the New Testament. Um, you know, if you if you kind of ask yourself, who was you know, pick a character who was. Zacchaeus's pastor. Where did Zacchaeus go to church? Who was Cornelius's pastor? Who was Lydia's? You know what I mean? It's just kind of like this foreign concept. People start to realize, well, wait a second, there weren't any professional clergy there in the New Testament. Where'd that come from? Okay, okay. Well, we we do have Paul, mm-hmm. uh, who I, I would say is a professional religious man. He would point to his pedigree and and who taught him who raised him up and then you mean Gamaliel, Gamaliel? Uh-huh. yeah mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and and we do see him going back to Peter uh, to uh, straighten some things out in sure the, or to in, the leaders of the church to, of Jerusalem. to the leaders of the church mm-hmm. in 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 Jerusalem uh, and do we see evidence that those leaders in the church are not uh, professional, are not uh, somehow like making that ministry a full-time, uh, full-time deal. Oh no, I'm not. I don't. I don't mean to imply that people didn't do the work of the kingdom as a, you know, as their primary, um, you know, use of their time. Um, what I'm, what I'm implying is, uh, for example. Where was Paul's office? Where did Paul's congregation meet every Sunday? You know, Paul didn't 
have an office, didn't have a congregation, met in the same. In fact, you can't find, you can't point to a single group that met in the same place every at the same time every week. You can you can infer that maybe some did, uh, but we can't. You know, you can't from the New Testament actually show someone who did that. Um, so what what happened was like Paul said that we uh, commend ourselves to you as your servants for Christ's sake. You know, we we view ourselves as your servants, which is in line with what Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. But in the conventional, you know, building-based church system, we tend to place pastors on a pedestal. We tend to place them as though they are spiritually superior to the rest of the, you know, congregation. Many of those in the congregation think that it's the pastor's job to do ministry when the scripture is clear that the leadership gifts were given to equip the saints to do ministry. So that the whole system is just not functioning the way that Jesus designed his church to function. And I believe, another, I guess another one of my convictions is that what Jesus said uh, and what Jesus trained his disciples to do has to work in every culture and in for all time because it was his final command that you disciples go make disciples of everybody on earth and they knew what a disciple was and they knew how to make them they knew how to disciple nations when jesus was done training them and we need to get back to that because it still works we're still seeing people discipling literally uh one of our leaders told me if if this continues we're going to see our entire nation discipled for Jesus in in the you know next few years. And I at first I thought, wow, that's amazing. And then I thought, no, that's just what Jesus told us to go do. It shouldn't I shouldn't be amazed by it. Okay. So you were saying that still works mm-hmm. and you're saying that uh, you know somewhat in response to me saying, well, I'm doing what works here. Mm-hmm. Uh well, this this person that you mentioned that may reach their whole nation, it's not the United States. No. It's some other... Mm-hmm. Uh, African country. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, why don't we see those kinds of results? Why don't we see multiplying disciples? Why don't we see that kind of multiplication? Where's the... Uh, where where's the, the the disconnect? Why why is it that I'm doing what works and yet um, we're seeing the 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 church decline um, in in the United States? And and by that I, uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways to 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 measure that. Um, sure. I'm not going to get into all the um, all the weeds of. Um, of, of, of that, but it seems like we're going the direction of uh, of Europe, which is is a, um, a secular direction. Yeah. Um, you're. <laughs> why isn't it working here? Well, now you said you're doing what works here, and so I want to ask a clarifying question: How do you determine that, or how are you measuring? Success. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it's been said that uh, planting churches is the single most effective way to reach people for Christ. So, 
Um, we see in new churches that there are a higher rate of lost people coming to Christ, a higher rate of baptisms, a higher rate of uh, people who are uh, involved, are uh, engaged in using their, using their gifts. Um, there just tends to be a, a higher level of, of energy and outreach in the, the, the first you know, the first few years of the life of a church. So continuing that process has been for decades touted as the single most effective way mm -hmm. to reach people for Christ. So, And I've uh, heard that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just, that's what, that's what, um, that's what I have learned. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so... Um, I, I've I've heard that um, did some study on you know church planting preparing for church planting. I came to the I guess the realization that that may not necessarily be true. Um, you know, you said it's been said and it's been touted as, but I was as you're saying that I'm even wondering, well, who's saying it and who's touting it? Um, uh, is it actually what Jesus told us to go do? Or are we sidestepping his commands to go make disciples in favor of making conventional sure. church? Well, um, uh, Timothy Keller uh, wrote, wrote an article about why we plant churches. So okay. there's one uh, modern voice mm -hmm. who, uh, who, who explained this is why we plant churches. Because it, if I can boil down what, what he said in the article, because this is what works. Okay. And so one of the questions that, that just um, continues to just, you know, I don't know, circulate in my mind is the question of if we keep doing what we're doing, how long will it take for the Great Commission to be finished? And so to Timothy Keller's article and to what you're saying works, when we compare the growth of these church plants and the dollars that are needed in order to, to do them, is it actually mathematically possible for the Great Commission to ever be finished? Well, that's the problem right now, uh, that uh, even as we're uh, celebrating that there were more churches planted uh, last year than closed last year in the U.S. in the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, which is which is great, which which we're celebrating. We're not nearly keeping up with population growth. Um, we've got uh, a ratio of churches to people that is about one to a thousand right now, and if we were to keep up that ratio, we would have to be netting uh, thousands of churches. Mm -hmm. Uh, every every year. So in the United States, um, that's the that's the dire reality. And part of why why I'm trying to sort out and figure out how is a uh, how is a nation in 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 Africa uh, saying we could reach our whole nation within our lifetime, where where I'm saying. Uh, I'm not sure if this is a sinking ship 
what, what do we do about it? Sure. Gosh. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about several things. One of them is that, um, and I think maybe you and I have talked about this, but in the current conventional American church system, we receive $1,550,000 in our offering plates for every one person we baptize. Okay, I don't receive $1.5 million, but you're saying if we take all of the... Yep, if you add up all the money that's donated in all the churches in America, divide it by the number of people who get baptized in a given year, um, it's $1.5 million, million per, per baptism. Per baptism. Yeah, that's, that's bananas. Right, so, you know, will we ever finish the Great Commission if that's how much it costs, to, uh, right? As we're seeing offerings... Continuing to decrease. To, to, to decrease right? yep. And people yep. attending church continuing to decrease. And even when, and I don't know the exact, exact statistics on this, but I know that when a church plant starts, the people who populate that new church plant are not typically all from the lost pagan world. They're coming out of other congregations. So a congregation loses a group, somebody will be part of the church plant and leave a parent church. So they went, this one went down and this one went up, but the net isn't necessarily uh, a net gain. We're talking about actually how are we impacting the lost world um, in America. Uh, and it's just, so as I started to look at this, you know, the the, what I was going to have, the effort I was going to have to put forth to plant a conventional building based, you know, church. Some people call it the business of religion, where it's a, you know, it's a religious entity and, you know, money is spent, money is received. And it, it, in a sense, you can look at it as a, as a business. And I, I began to realize that, um, you know, the average, church member in America never shares their faith with anybody. Something like 90 or 95 percent never even share their faith. Uh, and then a higher percentage, I think it's 90 percent never share their faith, 95 percent never lead anyone to Christ. Well, of course not, because they've never even <laughs> shared their right. faith. So, but I, 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 you know, looking at just analyzing all of these things, there's 85 people sitting in churches on Sunday morning for every one person who comes to Christ per year in this country. And, you know, it just became very obvious very quickly that there's no way that this, this system is going to fulfill uh, or finish the Great Commission. On the flip side, in our ministry in uh, Uganda, I think we're under 25 cents per baptism for, you know, the, the money we've spent to fly me over there to train some leaders. And see, to these leaders, being a pastor of a church isn't a source of income. It's usually a burden. Usually they they work for free as a pastor, and then they also work as a farmer or some other job so they can support their family. And when they learn that they're not required to have a religious building to have their meetings in, oftentimes they just go hand the keys back to the landlord and say, you know that you can have that building back. I don't need that anymore because they're going to meet in their homes. They're going to meet under a tree. They're going to meet in you know any any place that they can that people already meet, which is what we see in the New Testament. We don't see anybody building a building to meet in. So if it is as you say, and conventional church 
uh, you, I mean, you use the the term what the business of religion, the business of religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're suggesting that the business needs to essentially shut down. That uh, uh, that buildings that require money and maintenance and professional pastors and leaders who require a salary, uh, we're better off if those things are uh, are, are dismantled. Um, and this, I think, is a uh, is a good provocative uh, thought to put in people's minds, and we can build on that and return to that uh, after spending a week listening to Nickelback Radio. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I just want to say that uh, uh, for those of you listening, Aaron's putting some words in my mouth. I did not say <laughs> that. Uh, I did not say that. I think that we should dismantle. Uh, the the wait, system. Wait, I'm not the problematic voice here. I'm the voice of reason. Uh, so you didn't say that. Okay. Correct. All right. More on that next time. Amen. Thanks for listening.